Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience for physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the J3U Podcast. With me is co-host, Luke Miller. What up, Luke? Not much. Just trying to get this podcast done before you hit the end button on it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't sleep a lot last night, so yeah, I'm just kind of hazy a little bit. It, my mind's working though. With our conversation right before this, I was clicking enough. <laughs> You're clicking well. You're clicking well. Um, well, anyway, guys, yeah. we wanted we wanted to dive into um, fat loss agents. Their deployment uh, went along the spectrum of off season. Yeah mainly prep that you're going to be deploying these things. So, and uh, maybe touch a little bit on cardio if we do get into it. Yeah. If we have the time, if not, we'll yeah. do it on a prep episode, but I think uh, kind of like we had talked before, like maybe just starting with the, the ones that are going to be kind of in play on the forefront and kind of like going through an order of deployment across the contest prep. And if there's any like prerequisite information for any of these that we would want, then, then kind of diving through that. But I think, the first two are kind of ones that are in play already at the start of prep for a lot of people. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, along moving into a contest prep, it's trying to pig on pull down on the big levers first and pull out as much fat loss as you can with the least imposing to like fatigue and making also the prep feel the least burdensome possible right so at the start of a prep that loss should be pretty easy to pull yeah some out of with just food drop and that's primary my, my the first move that I, I go to but the agents that would probably already have in hand that are already aiding along this process um in an enhanced user this could be female or male uh would be growth hormone for mm-hmm. one um, and I, I would br- usually have this timing adjustments according to actual growth hormones action over IGF-1. Yep. What we're deploying for in the off season. Yeah, which would kind of have us moving one of those administrations into like a fasted AM uh, growth hormone administration where like during the off season, a lot of times we'll see it kind of just given throughout the day. Um, I'll even sometimes, even though it's maybe not necessarily to drive like the fat loss in the off-season setting just do it from an ease of adherence setting like doing it first thing in the morning if they're working all day um but i think that's probably the big move with growth hormone is like understanding the and this is kind of why I, I brought up the cardio modality when we were originally talking about it was that people always discuss you know this fasted cardio matter versus non-fasted cardio mm-hmm. and it's like well in general probably not but if we do have these uh, lipolytics in play that are going to aid in fat loss in a fasted state, it is probably important to get some sort of activity for mobilization while these are in play, which is kind of where we kind of start the growth hormone conversation and why I do think that we see within the enhanced world the importance of some sort of fasted cardio, even if it's not all of it. Yeah, I, you know, I used to think you know, I was with amongst the bros and we're just like, you know, fasted cardio is like the, the secret to just burning body fat solely. And then, yeah. you know, it, uh, it's, you didn't worry about as, a, as far as like muscle breakdown or anything, or, or what, if it, you wouldn't want to do it like in the fed state, because then you're not going to burn body fat. 
Um, and you know, look, looking through some data, it, it, you know, if you are in a fast state, you burn more body fat, you burn more fats during, but the rest of the day, you might burn more carbohydrate or vice versa. Actually, if you're have more carbohydrate while you're, while you're, doing cardio, maybe you would burn a little bit more carbohydrate during, but you might burn more fat the rest of the day. So it kind of all evens out. Um, yeah. But I, there is a, a clear advantage, I think, when you are enhanced and you can deploy some of these agents that take advantage and, and work well in the fasted state. So with yeah. growth hormones, main action is mobilization of fatty acids from adipocytes. So mm -hmm. it's liberating fatty acids into the bloodstream, but you still have to do something with them. So you then need to do some type of cardio or just big picture for the day, you need to be in a calorie deficit. So deploying it in that setting in the off season, if you're not in a calorie deficit, growth hormone is not going to have its main actions. You're going to mobilize fatty acids if you took it fast in the morning, but it won't have the, the benefit because you're, you're not in a deficit total for the day. So that's usually when we're deploying it at nighttime when it has high bioavailability or around training, or if you have multiple doses, maybe one of those would be in the morning. But when we move into that prep state, doing cardio in the morning, growth hormone first thing in the morning makes a lot of sense there to have that dose. So there is a, a transition and we would use that that dosing then. Yep, for sure. Um, I think that kind of brings us to the other one that's popularly being used right now is like the injectable L-carnitine. Yeah. Yeah. I used uh, this in like a long awesome. time ago for a lot of people had been using it. Um, that was in 2015. Uh, oh, yeah. Used injectable L-carnitine. A good amount of it, too. I think it was like a, a, a doing a 2,000 milligrams of Ooh. it. Um, before wow. cardio it was split so it was like before cardio and before weight training and it was like it it, it was so many shots i just like <laughs> forget this that, it's like at that point you're like oh whatever you know you just do what it takes like yeah you know this was like so many insulin pins that i was just like forget this this was like not worth it and i was absolutely peeled anyway yeah from everything else in place so like i dropped it because my my adhere i'd be honest my adherence sucked on it because it was it was just too much to do. Um, yeah. But circle back around, it's kind of a repopulized as just, you know, everything else that we could pull out to gain like half a percent, you know, or lose half a percent. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, with, with L-carnitine and just to clear up some things with it, a lot of people do take it well, for one, it, it's it's actions, right? I think that's important to just lay out yeah, how it works exactly. so you know how to even deploy it. And yeah. carotene, there's there's an enzyme that is responsible for transfer of fatty acids into the mitochondria for oxidation. So just cardio training alone, part of the ad adaptation is increased expression for this enzyme and carnitine is a part of it. And mm. so if you're consuming adequate amino acids and have enough dietary carnitine, you already have probably a baseline high enough level of carnitine to where this is never a limiting factor. So a lot of people taking carnitine, it's, it's, does, it's not going to make you burn more fat. That's not how it works. Um, now, people also have carnitine deficiencies and where they don't have enough carnitine and adding in carnitine, they end up utilizing more fatty acids and losing body fat. So that's a situation where, where that would happen in a contest prep setting. It might be likely that we don't consume enough quarantine uh, while we're on a prep. Um, but there's also some added other benefits along with it too, uh, that it could help with um, ammonia cycling and improving 
um, performance and also improving recovery. So there could be some benefits around resistance training as well. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the, the short and sweet on it. Deployment, um, it does have to be uptake, uptaken by the muscle. So it is, yeah. you need insulin present to do so. So then you have people like, well, I'm gonna inject insulin and take quarantine before I do cardio. It's like, yeah, I guess, but just a bad idea. Um, <laughs> like, and, and because if you think about this, um, quarantine is going to build up in the muscle with this enzyme present. So it, it's, yep. you don't necessarily need this immediate right before cardio. You just need a good time to uptake it and build up your levels in the muscle. And I would say the best time to use it would be before resistance training. When you have your pre-workout meal, you'll have the advantage for during training for aiding recovery, but also you'll still have it in your in place when you wake up in the morning to do your cardio for enhancing the fat loss process. But it's, it's more so in the transfer of these fatty acids, not necessarily making you burn more fatty acids. Yeah. Um, one thing we didn't do with growth, we probably can touch on this because this is a question we're going to get asked is like dosing for L-carnitine and, um, growth hormone as far as like where we're using that with individuals, just within like a, a, a fat loss type of a thought. Um, I think on growth for me, like most of my guys first shot in the morning, is going to be one to two. I use depending on how much their total is for the day. So like commonly it'll be between three and four. So typically it's either, if it's four, it's like two administrations or three. If it's the two, then it's the two and two. If it's three, then I'm probably going one, one and two. So just kind of depending on how you're, you're splitting up your growth hormone dosing. And then on the L-carnitine, um, a lot of my guys and girls are around like the 250, 300 milligram mark, um, but don't know what your thoughts on, on dosing that would be. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you could take it orally. You absolutely could, because it looks like two to three grams orally um, mm. could have application, but it, it does have pretty poor bioavailability. It's almost, people could yeah. argue it's, it's kind of wasteful to even just even try to do it <laughs> that way. Yeah. Um, there's, there's also might be an issue with, it getting converted to a, a little bit more of a toxic compound. Um, and mm-hmm. so injectable would really preferentially be the way to go. Um, I've used it orally in some for different reasons. Um, but as far as what we're talking about here, uh, yeah, injectable um, around that 200 to 300 milligram mark, because you do see so much improvement in, in uptake that way uh, is, is a, a good dosage. And if you look at some of the data, like around quarantine, it could be higher, but I guess keep in mind that we're trying to use this in a, a polypharmacy approach to where you're, we're pulling on multiple levers to bring about fat loss, um, rather than just, Hey, we're only going to use L-carnitine to drive this fat loss process. And, and then we might drive up that dosage more, but being part of a model where we're using multiple compounds, we wouldn't need quite as much of each one and try to pull the, the least um, pull the most out of the least, right? Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, so I agree. I think that's a, a good dosage point yep. around it. And, and to be clear too, you don't need to take exogenous insulin with L-carnitine pre-workout. Yeah. Um, you're endogenous. The insulin you're going to produce right. on your own is, is completely adequate to do so. Uh, so don't, don't think you need to be doing that on a, on a contest prep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I think that kind of brings us to... Our good friend, Clint Buterol. 
Yeah. You want to do clin or thyroid? Mm, thyroid. Let's thyroid first. Because uh, it can be so variable depending on the presentation of the client. Sure. Right? Um, which I think is an important context to add here is like uh, when we're looking at thyroid deployment, a lot of times this needs to be under the context of, of lab work and where that's trending. Um, we can kind of use symptomology to suggest subjective symptomology to suggest testing, but we also have crossover in that symptomology to other things. So it's yeah. typically smart to make sure we're testing and, and, and double checking to see, is it actually thyroid adaptation? Right. And I think this is one that I, I can't stand, but thyroid adaptation is not just is T3, T4 low. We can also see like uh, thyroid compensation where we see large increases in TSH, but then T3 and T4 are kind of moderately similar or a little bit lower, which is like that compensated thyroid. Um, and so we need to be checking these thyroid panels in the off season as well, just to kind of see where we're at. And if permanent thyroid implementation is, is something that needs to be done possibly through a medical practitioner for that athlete before we even get into the contest prep deployment of of that yeah i think you know for that it's timing your labs and, yeah you know, to, to where they're kind of already you have a rough idea and that's usually how i do it so right before we start prep we're usually pulling labs say it's a 20-week prep then right in the middle of prep we pull labs again which is probably around the, the point when you're starting to dig a little harder and getting to like, you know, sub 10 weeks out, you are getting to body fat levels that are probably getting more extreme and there's plenty of adaptations present. So you could pull them around that time point to, to really get a gauge. But I think you'll also get some insight pulling them in the beginning of a prep too to see where someone's baseline at. And, and on prep, they're not going to be improving uh, highly unlikely yeah, almost every like study we look at there's you know yeah. thyroid reduction and so you know that that should give you some insight but i think you know subjectively like like you said some of the symptoms that we might be seeing it's tough because it can get murkied with the other aspects because usually there's like fatigue being driven up and that could be around low thyroid uh, there could also be just issues around, usually I see GI issues. Mm -hmm. Thyroid has a big role in, in peristalsis and you might see constipation starting for them. But yeah. even then the other adaptations you're seeing from prep are also probably thyroid being dropped off at the same time. So when you're seeing like sleep disruption, um, yeah. all the normal issues you see with prep, that's probably at the same time thyroid might be off. It's usually also when you push someone a little bit harder and you see that fight back start to happen and that resistance, that's usually when thyroid's getting, getting um, compensated some. But around that too is, is you want to also like, hey, how else can I manage this prep to where you're not getting so much of that fight back when you're pushing someone a little harder. But mm. being in the enhanced side, you know, we have the advantage too you know, replace at physiological levels thyroid if it's starting to get low. Why would you not? If it'd yep. be like saying, hey, we're going to prep and we're not going to replace testosterone. We're just going to let it drop off. Like, well, that's crazy. Why would we do that? Yeah. Like we, we you know, in bodybuilding, we, you, that's what we use antibiotics for. It's like yeah. the same with thyroid. I feel like the people are a little bit more resistant to thyroid implementation. I think maybe it's because they're around the risk of thinking like you're going to ruin your thyroid because there's a lot of, that happens a lot, right? And we see that. 
mm-hmm. but it's not it's not from thyroid use necessarily um i think a lot of it's around just chronic dieting yeah i think that that gets conflated too because there there is thyroid abuse right with like using dosing that's way too high but um i think for a lot of people just running somewhere around replacement dose is probably going to be the peak of where um you're going to have someone um as they adapt over a prep like i don't i i haven't had a prep go over 37 and a half um this entire last year so i think that just kind of gives context and like where do we start to draw the line on like a abuse possibly but also understanding like are you giving the time on the chronic dieting standpoint to actually recover from prep where we're not on the next prep having to bring it in that much sooner because it's just like this lack of restoration that occurs yeah and i i would lean towards bringing it in sometimes you don't have the labs don't happen you know i'll be yeah. honest like it doesn't always happen i would lean more towards bringing it in earlier than trying to wait for these labs and, and waiting for like to see all the fatigue symptoms because we can just replace it and make sure you're around physiological same like with using anabolics right um because way out the risk there like um we have research looking at thyroid replacement for 10 years and stopping thyroid hormone and these individuals restart thyroid production within a normal range relatively quickly so this is an issue of like oh if i start thyroid too soon i, I it's going to ruin my thyroid function N- no um actually I, I feel like people have a better time coming on the back off the back end of a prep not having such a low thyroid output and so and then oh well i'll get into that in a second but <clears throat> um like leaving leaving a little bit in until you're in a good spot where you can actually recover thyroid function post-show yeah uh, so yeah, the, so that's what I, I would I would lean more towards bringing it in if 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 I need to, but because I'm bringing it in at dosages that are close around replacement and within a within prep and, and what's close to replacement. Well, like like you said, Luke, you know, typically it's like 25 micrograms of T3. For some, it might be up to 37.5. And and why I lean a little bit more to T3 in a prep. That was gonna ask that because I get that asked a lot. <laughs> Mono versus dual therapy. Yeah. Um, well, with, with with normal like thyroid replacement, hypothyroidism, not talking contest prep, it usually is monotherapy of, of T4. So you have your own control of conversion to T3 um, mm-hmm. in peripheral tissue. Uh, now, in a contest prep setting, there's a decrease in conversion of T4 to T3. And so you're already becoming less effective in that conversion process just through the dieting dieting aspect so t3 deployment makes a bit more sense i think on contest prep um however this isn't something i would i would carry out if you actually need it like in an off-season setting it a a mono or even a a co-therapy t4 t3 mix people just subjectively tend to feel better on and there's a there's a study looking at this like co-therapy versus monotherapy outcome is relatively the same um but most people have had better just subjective feelings of, of wellness using a dual therapy. So that, that mix of T4, T3. Yep. Um, so that's what I would transition people to when we move, like move post-show is moving into like T4, T3 combo. Um, but in prep, uh, yeah, I mainly stick with just using T3. Yeah, for sure. And, and for keeping sure. them within, w- cl- close within the normal range, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no need to go super physiological with thyroid hormone. That's just... And I would say, like, more issues. you know, going that high, like, what I... I'm assuming people on 100 micrograms of T3 a day, and T3 drives all metabolic processes, right? So it's going to... It, it can support analyzm. It also will be catabolic as well. So it does drive catabolic processes. So if you go up high enough, it absolutely will drive more tissue breakdown. Um, And so you don't want to drive it up that high. I I would just try to keep yourself in that relatively high normal range. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Trying to think there's anything else on that. I think, I think the big thing is like, if labs are possible, it is nice, but we can be a little bit predictive with it um, and kind of understanding that it is going to be needed. Um, And then some of the long-term data kind of lower some of the, the, the warning and the risk. So as a coach, if you're communicating with an athlete, that's like really worried about it, maybe sharing some of this data is a good way to create that buy-in so that they can understand the risk that is there, but that it's maybe not quite as bad as it's pervade and, and the gossip circles of bodybuilding for lack of a better term. Yeah. And like, you know, with that, make sure you are supporting every bit of thyroid function that you can. So a lot of those enzymes are, are dependent on selenium and iodine. So you want to make sure like you provide that. Cause a lot of times we're just using non iodized sea salt in bodybuilding. So having some type of source for iodine, because that's important for thyroid production. Then um, even selenium is going to be important for the enzymes that convert T4 to T3. So providing some of those basics are important than even providing a lot of your, you know, adaptogens that help with stress management would, would support mm-hmm. thyroid function as well. Yeah, absolutely. That was a good one. Um, so that brings us to Clint now. Cool. All right. So, uh, clenbuterol, um, one of the things that I think is a consideration within clenbuterol usage is kind of what you noted at the beginning is taking progress without needing to add stimulatory based lipolytics in play. Right. So basically going as long as you, you can to maintain the rate of progress without the deployment of this. Um, and so once we kind of get to this point, um, we see clenbuterol working as a beta agonist for fat loss and in fatty acid mobilization um, and, and being a very good next step from those first few that are, a lot of people are kind of like baseline in play deployments. And we'll often see kind of within the female realm, the clin kind of touted as the, the non-androgenic deployment for tissue retention. So you see it kind of come on a lot of times pretty early on um, within preps for females. But I do think that the efficacy there is not quite as touted as like the way it's discussed. And I do think that we need to probably be focusing on managing the client from a fatigue management standpoint to maintain the rate of fat loss, but also understanding that this is a tool in our toolbox to help with the the fatty acid mobilization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, it's, it's quite the aid because for a lot of individuals that have to diet on low food and high output, you need something to foster that process a little bit because you can only go so low and cardio can only get so high before 
you you weigh out like what is the worst driver of fatigue? Is it going to be training, or hey, I add a little bit of clin in? Is that going to do it? And 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 clin I think is fairly benign in that sense, in that you're able to still keep someone's food a little bit higher. Yeah, and and that as a totality would drive less fatigue and and make the burden of prep lessen and keep them really productive, right? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> So, you know, with, with Clint being deployed, like, yeah, we, like, like you said, Luke, we have several different receptors um, on adipose tissue, all skeletal tissue, alpha receptors, beta one, beta two, beta three. Um, and Clint's primary role is on the beta two receptors, which um, it is present in skeletal muscle and adipose tissue. And Clenbuterol's direct action on your beta-2 receptors helps with liberalizing fatty acids. And that's going to be its its primary role of just driving lipolysis and breaking down fatty acids. And it also has some role in probably decreasing protein degradation and and increasing protein synthesis, like you said. Uh, There there was a a study in men given a certain amount of clenbuterol. I'll forget the exact amount, but they measure like phosphorylation of mTOR, which is a pathway for muscle protein synthesis. And uh, that was, you know, relatively fairly elevated um, within those subjects. So, I mean, for a fat loss agent to say like, hey, this thing is gonna call muscle loss and it is, is in fact probably has a little bit aspect for muscle preservation, um, which makes it a pretty unique agent in itself. And so I could see it's like deployment in the females where we don't wanna use a lot of androgens but you want something to drive fat loss, but also with muscle retention, like clenbuterol has a role there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the, the questions I get asked a lot is duration of use. Like, is the duration of use across the contest prep something to be concerned with? You'll see a lot of questions about like the cycle on, cycle off type of a construct within that. Um, and just maybe kind of walking through, because the, the lack of need for that, but also like what duration for, of use for clientele often looks like, to obviously contextually dependent, but probably more specifically on the people who are a little bit proclive to be lower food, higher cardio, because they're kind of be the extreme end ranges of, of that usage. Yeah, I mean, you know, with any, any of these drugs that we're using, you kind of want the 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 lowest dose exposure for the least amount of time right yeah. i mean for for anything to, to bring about the result of course the reality of it is uh, a lot of people are, are spending long durations on these um and you know i'd say at least for clinbuterol to you know bring about the summit there was uh, some so, uh, so actually study looking at this um for changes in receptor activation and in muscle blood flow and with clenbuterol's use, because what what you notice with clenbuterol is that the shakes that you get kind of go away after a few days. So a lot of people, oh, my clin's not working. Or you might not yeah. notice as much like heart rate elevation. And um, after taking clenbuterol, like after 18 days, there actually was a 50% down regulation in um, skeletal muscle, beta-2 receptors, and a decrease in blood flow to muscle. Um but there's actually a, a like a fivefold increase in blood flow to like white and brown adipose tissue. So what's indicative of that is like chronic use actually seems to improve fat loss around its 
action around adipose tissue, um, but you might lose some of the effects around skeletal muscles. So the aspects around um, muscle contraction, muscle protein breakdown, those might get a bit diminished, but the fat loss effects seem to actually get enhanced the longer you are taking it. Not that it's just continues to go on forever, but I'm saying that it's not in two days, you need to come off clean because you're not going to be, you know, it's not going to have the actions on adipose tissue, right? So the idea of, of doing this cyclic approach with clean, um, it doesn't really hold up for what we see in, in the data. It would be deployed every single day. Yeah, 100%. Um, entry dose for me for a lot of people is 20 micrograms. Um, more so as a tolerance assessment for people, for especially those that are a little bit more anxiety driven um, and kind of like an initial deployment for efficacy and then going up in 20 microgram elevations from there. So 20 to 40, 40 to 60. Most of my people don't get above 60, but I have seen cases where, where 80 is, is warranted, um, but I don't think I'm ever taking anyone above 80. Yeah, 80 is a, is, it is a good spot. And actually, I had just pulled up this one study that I had, I had noted on here um, because it was, it's pertinent because it's actually been used, clenbuterol has been used in heart patients. So yeah. a lot of people worry about your, you know, the impact on heart. And this was um, in, in this study, they uh, used it in congestive heart failure patients. So patients that had heart failure, 80 micrograms per day of clen for 12 weeks. Um, there was no effects on arrhythmia. Uh, increased lean and fat mass ratios uh, were noted in these individuals. So 27% increase in maximal strength and, and decreased in, in endurance though. So that was the only aspect with, with CHF, but it was um, all, overall well-tolerated in CHF patients. So uh, you're looking at patients with heart failure taking 80 micrograms of clean for 12 weeks. So if someone in a healthy state um, easily could tolerate 80 micrograms of clean every single day, for easily 12 weeks because we are not heart failure patients, but um, I, I've seen even used in higher dosages in these, in these heart patients as well um, into the hundreds of micrograms. So, you know, what we're proposing here is, is pretty low risk for clin and bring yeah. about plenty of effect. Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, 20 micrograms is usually a starting point and then 20 microgram increases as per needed. Um, and then, you know, I'm, if, if I don't need it in place, I usually pull it uh, to give some break from it. Um, so like during a peak week setting, I'm usually trying to pull out at, off much fat, fat burners like that as much as I can. A little bit for fatigue management, but also just removes a lot of the variables going post-show to be accurate with, you know, what someone's maintenance is. Um, it, it kind of starts defeating your purpose when someone's peeled out lean and you're trying to feed them more, but at the same time, you're taking something that expends more energy. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, would you have to do your peak week and do more cardio? Like probably, <laughs> probably not. Right. Um, so if, if we can pull some of this out, um, that would be ideal. I, or I've just tapered it down to like a low baseline dosage of like 20 micrograms. Yeah. <clears throat> 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good for Clan, but I think that brings us to Mr. Alpha and him being, right? Yeah. Yeah, with uh Yohimbean HCL. Um, so you know, a lot of these we're looking for. What are all the different pathways that we can really utilize here with uh Yohimbean 
being unique, it has some action on the beta two receptors like like clinburol, but also as an alpha two receptor antagonist. And when you have your alpha two receptors, um, an agonist work on like epinephrine, norepinephrine, it actually decreases free fatty acid liberation from from tissue that has more alpha two receptors present on them. And where we see those is, is typically where you have more stubborn body fat, or you just have a, a genetic predisposition to store too. So like for females, typically this is in lower body areas and males, usually it's more of that central adiposity. Um, so you might have, you will probably have more alpha receptors around that. So when you have an increase in, in epinephrine, norepinephrine, like when you're doing cardio, it can diverge blood away from those tissues and not cause as much liberalization of those fatty acids. So where yohimbine shines is, a, is an antagonist of that receptor. So it blocks the action and it, it continues to enhance the effects of your beta-2 receptors. So there's a, a really great synergy that works there by blocking the alpha-2 receptor. Then you're taking something like a clenbuterol that enhances beta-2 receptor action. So you have this enhanced effect to continue with liberalizing fatty acids for probably more troubled stored body fat areas. <clears throat> yep. And I think one of the things with yohimbine is also considerations for removal towards the end, um, just from a uh, peak week standpoint, like trying to nail the peak from a, a fluid aspect. Yeah, it does. It can tend to hold a little bit of water with mm. it. Um, and so removing that out <clears throat> and, you know, before even that, you know, dosage considerations. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, usually it's um, moved from uh, point two. was it point? I always make my decimals off. <laughs> yeah. Point two micrograms per, um, per, what is it? I'm going to mess this up. Don't let me mess it up, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just start with where you dose it at as like the initial deployment? Yeah, like two milligrams. <laughs> yeah, two milligrams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two milligrams, and then yeah, it's, going up a little bit from there. It's, yeah, it's a uh, 0.2 milligram, like per 100 kilogram, basically. So okay. if you're a hundred kilogram individual, a peak dosing might be 20 milligrams. Yes. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's body weight based. <laughs> um, again, I didn't sleep a lot, so my math was like, ugh. <laughs> but anyway um but that doesn't mean that's what you need to go up to um that's just what yeah, they've, no. they've seen in a study and they've deployed and had effectiveness with but it doesn't mean that a lower dose is not effective uh so when you drive up that high it, it does present some problems because you know him being can drive a lot of anxiety and especially in, in prep when you're already using compounds that can cause more anxiety and you're just in prep and you have the stress of prep too, it, it can really exacerbate a lot of that. So I, I would keep it low and move it up as you need, you know, two milligrams and moving up in two milligram increments to bring about the effect that you want. Um, usually not, honestly, I haven't gone over 10 milligrams with anyone in, in, in a good while with everything else being present. But with that in mind, it does seem to drive a lot of sympathetic tone with it and cause more stress in the physique. So pulling it before peak week happens is, is ideal. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 
a little bit further down the the list for me in deployment because of that anxiety issue like managing that for clientele across a contest prep is why like i'm probably trying to get more out of everything else before i'm i'm deploying that but it does make a lot of sense so it, uh, that's not to say that not use it or to be wary using it it's just um do be aware of the possible anxiety-based issues that could kind of like we said cause a bigger issue on the back end yeah so i mean those are the few compounds that i would have deployed i mean we might bring up uh, ephedrine yeah um, have you ever I, used ephedrine on a prep not for myself i've used it a couple of times with clientele not to real benefit over using just clenbuterol with yohimbi um it's not my preference most of the time people are going to have caffeine in play already anyways because it's just prep so we're, we're going to see that already there um and then you'll you'll have like the popper a lot popularized eca stacks that you'll see people use but from a client management standpoint i do think the impact anecdotally can be a little bit larger um than using some of the others like clenbuterol and uh yohimbine so so you you see out of your clients just more more of that kind of like yohimbine driven like stress and yeah. um in decrease in sleep and everything that goes along with it um because i also like issue with ephedrine is that it it does have a shorter half-life because like clenbuterol is like 34 hours so yeah. you know once a day dosing is fine but we, it, we, the issue with ephedrine is it's much lower i think it's like four to six hours or something like that uh to where you would need to do multiple dosings throughout the day to really bring about a lot of the effect um and and sometimes that nighttime dosing like it, it can really or evening dosing right can really impact sleep of course you would just pull it and just run it you know morning mid midday and then cut it after that yeah um, a lot of times you know at least when i i run it on prep and i would it was hard to access so you'd go over the counter and get like bronchade or primatine which would be ephedrine hcl but it usually has that um expectorant in it um was yeah. it guafacine i totally butcher the name but yeah <laughs> you had you had that in there as well but if you had any like you know, con chest congestion stuff going on, it, it would uh, could kind of mm -hmm. impact you a little bit. But um, yeah. I mean, you were able to get like, hey, a, a legit pharmaceutical grade ephedrine via that way, you still can. So if like, you have no access to clenbuterol. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's there, you know, and yeah. it, it has yeah. very similar actions of what you're trying to accomplish with it. Combined with caffeine, you could, you could combine it with your him being just realize you are adding a lot of stimulants on top of each other. So again, um, get the most from the least um, when you are deploying these, these things. Yeah. And I think for the context of lipolytics, that mostly covers it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless there's something, you know, something, I'm sure there's some real foreign stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, real uh, back room like bathtub <laughs> batch stuff but you know i think these those are the big rocks that you we have we have good data on of what they do and um also just anecdotally what we've used with clients that work well which is a pretty good list list of items um <clears throat> you know last one i would just 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 to, just to mention 
is you know bringing in anabolics because anabolics in themselves and which are already going to be in place they they do upregulate beta 2 receptors so it does have a, an aspect with the androgens of improving fat loss uh, however these are not your primary fat loss tools and wow. so why i bring it up is because a lot of people in, in prep the very end you're like i'm adding halo in or whatever it is whatever oral of your choice to get hard and we were just talking about this right yeah. to break down what that is and, and getting getting hard it's it's usually about losing body fat and your anabolics are not your best tool to lose body fat they they do have a slight supportive role but they're already going to be in place so you're you're not going to need to bring in a special oral that has more actions for fat loss those that doesn't exist um and then if it's water driven for hardness well there's uh, things that we should be addressing before just dropping in an oral to make you hard. Um, yep. I'm going to leave it at that because that could, that, I don't want to go into some dive of like, you know, assessing your water uh, levels. But um, from there, I think it's like painting, uh, kind of painting the picture of when you'd be timing this to get the most out of it in a prep. If you have brought about all these compounds in place. Um, so like kind of a hypothetical of, yeah. of, you know, what you might look like would be, you know, getting up in the morning, you of course would be take thyroid hormone first because it can have some impact when you're having like fiber with, with, with a meal. So taking it fasting would be, you know, ideal there. Um, clenbuterol, the timing's kind of irrelevant with it just because again, the half-life is like 34 hours. Um, now I, I will speak anecdotally. If you took clenbuterol right before you went to bed, it could have issues with you going <laughs> to sleep. So even though it has a long half-life um, at the moment you take it, there is going to be an, an increase in the next few hours. So I would still time it first thing in the morning. Um, but then the timing aspect of when uh, of some of the other agents could be a little bit more important. One being growth hormone, because yeah. you are seeing a peak level in that one to two hours. So I, I would try to take your growth hormone as soon as you could, when you wake, wake up. Um, and, and then, you know, if you're getting to cardio within that 30 minutes to an hour mark would be kind of ideal. And then growth hormones actions can last for three to four hours after. So if it's even a, a window where you're going to have a longer fasting duration with it. You know, I think you'd pull out the most from fat loss that you're able to do. Yep. Uh, same thing goes with yo yo himbine and caffeine, because those have also fairly shorter action windows. And you'd probably want to be taking these also within that hour before you're doing your your fasted cardio and uh that's how i would kind of lay all those out um so pretty much get up in the morning and take all your, your <laughs> yeah it's like thanks john that was really insightful <laughs> get up in the morning take all your stuff as soon as you can and then at least have probably 30 minutes before you're getting to your cardio timing understand i know you got to get on with your life um so if so you know if you need to get straight to your cardio i get it um, but ideally, if you had some little time window, like 30 minutes to an hour, that would probably be a little bit more ideal. Also, I wouldn't be trying to jump onto my cardio completely without any water, you know, so if you had some a little bit of time to hydrate, that also would probably be ideal just from a performance aspect of your cardio. Yeah, um, maybe you want to touch look just briefly on the cardio. Uh, I know we were going to try to dive into like all the, the cardio modalities and stuff. But I think just the type of cardio you're doing should probably be mentioned here. Yeah, I think the heart, getting the heart rate elevation is important just first thing in the morning, right? So looking at trying to get that minimal 
130 beats per minute. Um, I do think the lower the impact, the better, which then kind of starts to bring in the conversation of, we see a lot of us using steps for our cardiovascular activity. And so we're using like higher rate inclined treadmill based cardiovascular activity, which is a great option. I did my entire last prep on it. So it was literally the only cardio modality I used. I was having knee injury at any injury I was dealing with. So it was just the easiest one that I could use without dealing with any issues there. Um, I do like ellipticals. Some downfalls to ellipticals are you'll see people with like feet going numb, some lower back issues if they're not good at like controlling their, their hips slash pelvis. Um, but it is rather lower impact. Um, and then kind of like the, the later two is like bike and Stairmaster, um, pretty large impact, uh, from like, a load perspective, um, and the carryover into training, um, is, is what I find. So I, I am for most people trying to stay some sort of high paced walk on an inclined treadmill or elliptical based work. But what you will see is as someone adapts over time, you get the cardiovascular adaptations, it is harder to get that heart rate elevation. So it may require slightly more to right. get that heart rate elevation. Oh, right. Faster speeds. Yes. Don't just add more drug. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get my heart rate up. No problem. Up your clean. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. I and mean, I think it's, uh, it's kind of almost, if you want to call it division dependent too, um, because you know, 120 pound bikini girl walking on the treadmill isn't going to have a lot of output. Also is not going to be extremely fatiguing um, for that individual. Re recovery is going to be improved, especially for your females. So if you are needing to move them to a higher output cardio, like elliptical or Stairmaster, I find it's not as impactful to their training performance. Yeah. If you're like a 250 pound bodybuilder on the Stairmaster, like <laughs> this is going to be fatiguing, like absolutely. So yeah. there's, there's a, a, a way that of variables that you have to put out there. Like the Stairmaster has like a systemic kind of fatiguing effect while the spin bike, the issue with that is it's kind of a localized fatiguing. Nice. Although it's like all concentric work, you have to pedal the thing pretty damn fast to get your heart rate up. Cause you're only moving just, just your legs um, opposed to like, the other aspects have high, higher load, right? So you don't have to move as fast. So spin bike, man, you gotta, you gotta turn it up and, and get pretty quick on it, which uh, caused a lot of localized fatigue. Yeah. So I think for a, a larger individuals, your incline treadmill is probably the most forgiving um, yeah. to give you the, the just as much output um, for the least imposing on fatigue. Of course, your duration might need to increase a, a little bit. Uh, with it because of that now that would be my ideal in my in, in a situation like that because you're really trying to for what we want for cardio we're not looking to run marathons and have all these cardiovascular adaptations we're just looking to bring about the calorie deficit with the least imposing aspect on fatigue and resistance training and so if you can just do it through just treadmill walking and then the rest of the day your steps that would be kind of the perfect i think situation doesn't always happen though. Uh, yeah, you might have to drive someone up a little bit in higher output because of time. Yeah, um, I've, I've had I have individuals where you just they sit a job all day. There's no way they can get steps in. Um, you're kind of stuck with having to push them a little bit harder output wise and cardio. But at least mm -hmm. you have an approach, right? Like you laid out of where we should be moving modality wise to to try to to not cause as much fatigue 
um, and impact their training. Yeah, for sure. But I will say, if you want a picture for the gram, five minutes on a bike for a quad pump is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Like, yeah, I've, I've been, I've been, I started doing my hit on the Stairmaster. Yeah. Um, for the heart benefit. Right. Um, man. I mean, even with that in the bike, either one is like the quad pump is just nutty. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, honestly, I recover pretty quick from it. Like it doesn't seem to impact like leg training. Yeah. For, for, for like low volume hit. Like, yeah. Low volume hit. Yeah. To context for all, it's like four sets of one minute at like 80% effort. So I'm not trying to sprint on this thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's quad pump city. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that that wraps it up. So if you want to kind of give them the quick outro and then we'll head on right on yeah so you guys uh using fat loss agents just remember there's an on an order of operations here um these can bring about the extra percent needed but again there you still have your major levers to pull on to drive fat loss along the way mm. uh, anyway appreciate y'all tuning in any comments questions if you're watching youtube leave them down below happy to answer this for you and talk to you next time <laughs>